This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. All right, here we are. I'm so, so happy that we were able to connect. Me too. Me too. It seems like a, a missed uh, opportunity and connection a few decades ago, but here we are now. Yes. It's so, it's so funny. Um, I, when I saw that you were originally from Jacksonville, um, it's so interesting. In the neighborhood that I grew up in, I remember when I was probably about seven, there was a family from Iran that moved into our neighborhood and they oh. had a little boy who was my age. And I went to St. Andrew's Episcopal Day School. So of course, yeah. you know, he would not go to an Episcopalian school, but the other um, elementary school, I don't know if you were familiar with it. I know you left Jacksonville before school, but it was called Arlington Country Day. Yes, and yes, yes. Do you, do you remember hearing about that school? I do, I do, Yeah. So I heard that um, that the little boy went to Arlington Country Day. So he and I, you know, weren't in the same school. And the neighborhood that we lived in, there were a bunch of kids. We were all in the same grade. And so, you know, we grew up together and played together. And I mean, you know, 70s childhood, it was like you were just out until dark. And one of your parents from the South would like whistle and call you home, right? And we so wanted to get to know him and play with him. But you know, when we're like seven, we have zero frame of reference for what's unfolding in Iran at the time, you know? That's right. And um, his family, obviously, you know, they were really protective. And I, I think that they actually had bodyguards and things around. And so oh we saw him outside. And then shortly after that, I want to say maybe a year later, they were gone. And we never knew, you know, where they left and went to. And so I just thought this is the most bizarre you know, it was just, just such a, an odd coincidence, right? That, yes. um, and so when I saw that you were from Jacksonville, I was like, oh my God, I wonder if you were my neighbor, my age that I never got to meet. But, oh. um, <laughs> you know, if you go back far enough, I think we're all neighbors of one sort or another. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. Oh, so I've been, um, I've been spending some time with, Radical love. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you are that little, little friend. Oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful friend. Um, and I, I want to talk about this, about this treasure that you have yeah. translated and offered to the world. Um, all of these beautiful translations from the Quran and from Rumi and from Hafez and all of the great Sufi mystics. Um, yes. yes. Tell me a little bit about what has kind of drawn you to this labor of love, because it really feels like that's what it is, is a, and, a gift of love is. to the world. It, 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 it is actually in, in a more, even a more literal way than I think sometimes people would, would imagine. Um, 
So, you know, I think sometimes as uh, writers and artists and people who are involved in any kind of creative work, um, you know, we end up having to construct uh, almost an autobiography for whatever comes through us. And, um, you know, I think sometimes there's a tendency to want to make it very linear and very purposeful and, you know, as if we just sat there with um, full intention and had an outline of how the process was supposed to lead one step to the other to the other. Um, and the truth of the matter is that, you know, this, uh, this wonderful little collection of radical love um, didn't happen that way. Uh, and it, uh, it is very much a, um, uh, a book that I never expected to write uh, and, and wasn't even actually intended as a book. Um, it's a love story. So um, I got married uh, three months ago and congratulations thank you thank you thank you and my wife is a swiss and um, uh, she lived in switzerland and i lived here and uh, we had been friends for some time and we um, share an interest in um, in the path of love um, and but it was a you know it was a friendship that we were um, walking parallel um, uh, long distance and um, occasionally I would fly there to see her she would fly here to see me and um, you know the the, the, um, the love was was blossoming and, and unfolding and um, so you know one of the um, she, she's very um, non-materialistic in the way that many Swiss are and so really the only thing that she asked me for was that every couple of days, she would ask me to sit down with this amazing treasure of um, thousands of books um, from Rumi and Hafiz and Attar and the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad and all these great love mystics around me and go through them and find um, a couple of lines and to render them from the original Arabic and Persian um, into uh, English in a way that preserved the, the fire and the spark and the sparkle of, of the original. And so I would. So I would sit down and, you know, kind of immerse myself in these texts. And every few days I would find a line or a poem or a story that seemed um, really worthy of her and of this um, love that was coming and already here. And, um, uh, and I would translate them and send them to her and she would look them over and we would have a little discussion about them. Um, and, and then after about a couple of years had gone by, she said, you know, my love, these are so striking and they have really touched my heart and I think they would really touch the hearts of others. So why don't you think about publishing these. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. These are really just for you and for us. And, um, but she, she kept insisting that, um, you know, she has been reading a lot of the other collections out there and that none of them had really touched her the way that this particular one had. Um, and um, so, you know, I said, well, they belong to you. And if this is what you are, um, asking for, then by all means. Um, and so quite literally the process of writing this book was scrolling back through old messages, uh, love letters and text messages and emails and cutting and pasting and cutting and pasting. And um, next thing I know, and, you know, maybe adding a little introduction, adding a couple of stories and poems here and there, but it was basically already done. Um, so of all the books I've ever written in my life, this is the, by far the most joyful and it really doesn't feel and didn't feel like work. It was just, um, you know, love letters that you go back and you collect and um, then you share with others. Wow, that's so incredible. I have to say I had no, there was no way to expect that that would be 
the the answer for why you've developed this and what an incredible generous gift um for all of us in the world that get to read this that comes from clearly such a such a deep love for each other yeah thank you thank you very much yeah it um, and, and, you know, I think um, as, as, you know, you sometimes you get to a certain point in life and you also begin to think about um, what do we want to spend our life doing? And what do we want to spend our life kind of working on? And I think, you know, for me, it was um, partially a matter that life is so short. Um, and um, and that it passes so quickly. And so um, wanting to be more intentional uh, about life and wanting to have it be something that um, would touch hopefully the hearts of others. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that, you know, in, in some ways you release that into the world and into the universe and hope that what has come from your heart ends up touching the hearts of others. Yes. There are so many beautiful poems that you've translated here. And one that really struck me yesterday when I read it is one from Rumi called Our Brokenness. And it says, you're clutching with both hands to this myth of you and I. Our whole brokenness is because of this. And there's such profound, profound wisdom in that. And for me, it's, I feel like I don't have words, but I have heard you speak so beautifully and so eloquently many times. And just wanted to open our conversation a little bit about about that yeah thank you thank you you know it's uh it's it's interesting and uh that that's the one that you went to because um the um the the experiences that i've had in um, my own life and part of the reason why i'm sometimes drawn to these kinds of poems um, as opposed to others is that of course, um, you know, none of our lives are ever and have ever been this, um, you know, smooth, uh, peaceful ocean of bliss. Right. Um, and, and, you know, every ocean also has waves and ups and downs and occasional storms and, um, and sometimes it comes crashing to the shore and the waves scatter into a thousand droplets that return back into that same ocean. Um, and I think my own life has certainly been that way. And uh, there've been some very stormy times and, and brokenness as well, as well as healing. Um, and so one of the things that Rumi says that I've been very touched by is that um, uh, every heart breaks and, but what a difference there is between a heart that simply breaks and sometimes a heart breaks open. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, so if we're going to break, uh, and we will, um, or we have, or we are, uh, may it be that it's a breaking open. Uh, may it be that it's an expansion and a a discovery of what has been on the on the inside, um, and as far as you know, the the beautiful poem um, that you had so kindly um, chosen and 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 read um, that um, our brokenness is because of how we clutch onto these notions of of, of you and I. Um, you know, so I think the first thing that I always say um, when uh, you know, we're discussing these kinds of poems is I'm also very mindful that um, there are some of us reading these poems um, who have gone through or are going through um, a, um, 
perhaps an abusive uh, relationship where um, our very notion of who we are has been assaulted. Um, and, uh, and that sometimes in those relationships, in that context, um, when someone is um, stomping on your sense of the core of who you are and what you are, um, actually to insist on your you-ness, uh, on, on your sense of selfhood, uh, is a, a revolutionary act of survival. Um, and whether that we're speaking there of like us as individuals or us as a, as a people, as a subgroup of humanity, um, you know, it could be about us as, as women, as people of color, as queer folk, as black folk, as poor folk, as immigrants, as Muslims, as Jews. And so in, in that sense, to actually insist that no, there is an integrity to, to who and what we are, that's a beautiful and blessed thing. And I, I think it's also important to save a space where in a different conversation, that can also be acknowledged. Um, and if we can somehow acknowledge that, and then also come back to this other language that Rumi is talking about here, um, uh, to this myth, of a quote you and a quote I, and how this results in a brokenness, is I think what he's talking about there is something a little different. It's a different, it's a different story. It's a different love story. Um, a book can have different chapters and a chapter can have different stories. And sometimes I think, you know, we get ourselves in a situation, um, I tend to sometimes notice this with relationships sometimes when the, um, the sheen and the shine of newness has worn off and you're sort of settling into what seems like a mundane kind of existence. And what was perhaps once a passionate love story feels like it has become the great accounting firm of you and I. Um, and when you pay attention to the conversations that people have, and again, I'm not speaking here theoretically, like this has also been my own experience in life. Sometimes it feels like, um, you know, we are, um, each of us is keeping um, this itemized list of um, everything that the other person has done wrong. And I took out the trash last night and it's your turn to do the dishes tonight. And I did this, but you did that. And I can produce for you a list of um, everything that you have done that has annoyed me in chronological, itemized, reverse order, you know, yeah. and I can, um, and um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, sometimes jokingly and to take the edge of, the pain of these conversations. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the musical uh, Hamilton, uh, and I try to find as many ways of sneaking Hamilton into Sufi poetry as possible. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, when when Alexander uh, Hamilton um, and uh, and uh, Vice President Burr are having their debate, there's a line in which Burr goes, "You need to cite a more specific grievance." Uh, and Alexander Hamilton goes, here's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreements. Uh, and Bird goes, sweet Jesus, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, and we laugh at that, um, but we do this in our own life as well. Yeah. Uh, we do this in our own uh, love stories, our partnerships, our marriages, our friendships. Uh, and uh, that, that's, I think, what Rumi's talking about, this myth of a bounded notion of a you and a bounded notion of an I, um, where it's a zero-sum game, where happiness, bliss, joy, compassion, love um, are finite. And my happiness can only come so far as the extent of where I-ness, where me-ness ends. And you perhaps have that same notion. 
Um, and I think what he's talking about is, what if rather than me being a drop and you being a drop, we were actually both able to experience ourselves as part of the ocean? And what if there was no notion of a bounded idea of me and a bounded part of you, but we could see our souls mingling together as part of this unity that we have always been? And what if we came to see joy and bliss and love and compassion as being infinite and actually coming from a more sublime, a more subtle realm. And we're participating in that. Um, and what if at that level, we actually came to see that what causes pain, what causes suffering is precisely this notion that there are certain things that are mine. And only in as much as they're mine can I take pleasure in them. Um, and, um, you know, I oftentimes watch the, um, the Lord of the Rings with my children, uh, which to me is also a Sufi allegory, right? Uh, and that Gollum character, right, who's looking for the precious. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And if he has to kill, if he has to steal, if he has to do whatever to find the precious. And of course, at the end of the movie, he finally finds the precious as he is diving headfirst into the fire of hell. And even as he is descending into hellfire, he cannot let go of this bounded notion of clutching onto this I-ness. And what if we could just let it go? What if we could just let it go and we could be these drops that merge and mingle and melt back together? It's so powerful for me to, whenever I read um, Rumi and to hear you talk about it in this way, it's difficult to describe and I'm wondering too if people that will listen to this later, if they will feel the way that I do and that there's, it's this sense of something within my soul that is moved by the words. Yes. And the feeling that it's not even just the words, it's the, it's what's behind the words. Yeah, it's that presence. It's the, it's the presence that I think, it's the fire. Um, and I think it's the reason why when we read uh, these kinds of lines or when we are with people who live into these teachings, um, there, there is that experience of a kind of homecoming for many of us. It's, I know this. I've, I've, I've sensed this. Um, I, I, I know somewhere in my deep, long forgotten heart that these teachings are also true. And I have, have a memory of once having lived this. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly, you know, Rumi is not the only one who has this gift, but I think there are some mystics that speak with us uh, through time and space, and I would even say through traditions. So that, you know, Rumi was a Muslim mystic, but we may not uh, come from that background, and we, he was a Persian speaker, and we may not speak his language. But when we, when we sit with him, when we sit with these teachings, um, they move us, they inspire us, they touch our hearts. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I felt that same inspiration um, when I listened to 
um, Dr. King and Malcolm X and Rabbi Heschel and, um, you know, untold uh, female and male mystics from different traditions. Um, so I think you're right. There, there is something that goes beyond their mere words. Yes. Yeah. I've often, I think from a very early age, felt that there are many paths to the same destination. And I'm so struck always at the depth of beauty and similarity and the messages of love that come from all of these different traditions. And um, and the threads that kind of, you know, that weave them together. And I've heard you speak about and, and write about um, love being the unleashing of God onto the world. And I love when I hear you say that. And I, I want to, um, I want you to talk about it a little bit if you, if you would. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, you know, and, and these are not, um, these are not uh, my words. These are the words of these great uh, mystics uh, that um, I've had a chance to sit with um, from, from the previous centuries. And um, so, you know, I think when it comes to, to love, especially, um, there's a beautiful paradox here that on one hand, um, it's almost ubiquitous. Right, half of our songs on radio are about love. It seems like um, many of our movies are about love, and there's a whole, um, you know, section in our bookstores that are about how to find love and everything. And um, and what I'm, and and I both identify with that as you know someone who is very much a, um, as I say, not a hopeless uh, romantic, but a hopeful. Uh, romantic, I identify with that, but I, I also um, uh, smile a little bit because um, people talk about wanting to find love. And so the, the amused child in me says, um, when did you lose love? Mm. Who made you lose love? Uh, where did we lose love? Um, how did it happen, my love, that you lost love along the way? And um, can we go back there? Uh, or can we start right here and pick it up again? Um, and ironically, I think what I find is there's so many people when they say, and I would count myself among them, perhaps at an earlier point in my own life, when they say, um, I'm looking for love. I hope to find love. Um, it's because what we've done is that we have narrowed that sense of love to an infinitesimally small definition that even if we go from all the many um, shades and hues and colors of love, uh, from divine love to love in nature, to love in, um, from animals and um, our puppies that uh, love us unconditionally and absolutely, and even if we only talk about human love, usually when people talk about wanting to find that love, what they're talking about is, um, is a romantic love. And, and a, even within that, a sexual, physical, romantic love. Um, sometimes, maybe not always, even in a, a heteronormative uh, conception. And so, you know, it's a, it's a rather um, um, defeatist <laughs> Uh, proposition, if you say there are seven or eight billion human beings, but we're going to restrict love 
so that only one of those eight billion people can give you love. Well, um, you know, that's a, it's not even finding a needle in a haystack. It's a, <laughs> you have a one in seven billion chance of finding this person and hope that they feel the same way about you. So I think what our mystic friends do instead of restricting and narrowing and narrowing to this one in seven billion definition, sometimes a heart breaks and sometimes a heart breaks open. So they actually open up and open up and open up the heart so that you actually realize that we are the fish in the ocean. We are constantly swimming in this ocean of love and yet we're frantic going where's water where's this water where's this water that everyone keeps talking about and at some point it, we need an old fish an old turtle an old wise soul to come around and to say my love the very reason that you're able to swim the very reason that you're able to look for love is because you are loved and perhaps we wouldn't know that we are so deeply immersed in this ocean unless someone were to pluck us out of the ocean for a couple of seconds. And so you're like, oh, wait, I can't breathe. Put me back in. And then when you drop back, then the fish starts happily swimming again. Right? Um, so this is the thing that these love mystics, our Sufi friends uh, from the Muslim tradition do. They say, no, no, love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Uh, and certainly love is not this thing that is restricted only to um, one human being among seven billion. That love, as you said so beautifully yourself, is this very unleashing of God on earth. It's this very unfolding of the divine. Uh, it is love that brings us here. It is love that sustains us here. And if we can swim inside this selfless love, this divine love, uh, then the current of this love will carry us back home. And to that extent, to that kind of open, expansive, generous love, uh, then everyone and everything that we come across can and does offer us a sense of love. Um, when, you know, we, we have a very crisp wintry day here and walking outside and seeing this beautiful snowfall that has fallen on everything, uh, that too is a kind of love. It's a kind of love that covers all, right? The snow doesn't say, I'm going to fall on the house, but not on the tree. I'm going to fall on the road, uh, but not on this bush. Uh, no, it, it, it generously covers everything. Um, everything looks beautiful in it. And we can go out there in this uh, crisp air and take a breath. And as the breath kind of enters us and fills our heart and fills our lung and fills our chest, and then that same breath comes out. You know, we feel that sense of communion, uh, that uh, I am not cut off from this nature. That at least for that moment, I'm able to experience the same of being at one uh, with this air of love, this ocean of love that I'm walking in, swimming in, breathing in. Um, and, you know, I can see a neighbor, as I saw, in fact, this morning. And my neighbor, you know, wonderful family, lives across the street. Uh, they are a beautiful husband and wife, have beautiful children. Um, and I can go to them. And when we see each other, we smile and we're taking pleasure in this snowfall and in this day where all the kids are home from school. And no, it is not that... Um, romantic sexual love that some people uh, have narrowed love to, but it is a neighborly love. It's a neighborly love. And I can look at my own children. 
and to listen to the sound of their giggling and their laughter and their joy. And I can remember, oh, you know, I used to giggle like this too. And I can still remember how to giggle like this. And uh, there's the joy. There's a joy in um, something as elemental as snow that I want to remember to, to live and to live into. Um, and then, you know, perhaps I can uh, take my puppy whom I love and I love to see. Um, and that's another kind of love. He, he gives unconditional love and we can give love back. And as I'm walking the puppy in the snow, I can come across someone from the neighborhood that I don't know, a stranger. And then I, in, you know, we exchange a smile and a couple of words of pleasantry about, you know, we both have a puppy and we're walking in the snow and the puppies are grateful and delighted. Um, and then I remember that in the Torah, in the Gospels, and in the Quran, we are told to love the orphan, the widow, the stranger as ourselves. That the love of a stranger is also sacred love. And, you know, certainly we as a country are struggling right now mightily in terms of how to love the stranger. Uh, we're struggling how to love ourselves, we're struggling how to love our families, our neighbors, but we're especially struggling. And you know, one way that you could translate that word stranger is refugee. Mm -hmm. So for all of us who claim to be somehow people of faith, people whose idea of love is inspired by our great faith traditions, well, this is a measure of how do we live into our faith? Um, do we build walls? Do we build fences? Uh, heaven forbid, heaven forbid. Um, do we release tear gas on a stranger, a child? Or do we welcome? Do we extend a hand? Do we go to this border and say, I have come to you with food and clothes and a shelter because I have to love you as I love my own child because I recognize in how you love your child the same love that I have for my own child. Um, there's a way of being together that has to be rooted in this love, in this compassion. Uh, to go back to that poem, this great myth of a you and an I and a whole brokenness that can come when we see the you and I as separate. Mm -hmm. right? How can I be me? How can I be fully who I'm supposed to be if you don't get to be? you are fully supposed to be. Um, how can I look at my beautiful children and say, um, all I have ever wanted for you is to have food in your belly, a roof over your head, um, dignity in your bones, and to know that you are fully loved. And then how can I look at another child and to say that you deserve anything other than that, right? So I think just as we don't want love to become so individualized, so sexualized, so only restricted to the realm of the physical, we also don't want compassion and love and tenderness and mercy to be purely an individual act. Like these are also communal. Uh, and this love, this compassion radiates out like the sun. It has to. Um, and the sun, like the snow, has no boundaries. It has to keep shining. 
and it shines upon all and warming, offering warmth and kindness towards all. Um, so, you know, that beautiful poem that you um, cited about our brokenness, um, there's a very similar one also in the book that I come back to again and again. Um, in fact, I like it so much that my wife and I uh, included it in our wedding vows. Um, and it's that one is the you and I one. It's a very simple poem, but not only could um, we as friends, um, could we as romantic partners, as families, as neighbors live into them, um, as, as a nation, as a human community, we could establish this as the very basis of our social ethic. And that's, uh, it's this lovely little poem, you and I have to live as if you and I never heard of a you and an I. You and I have to live as if you and I never heard of a you and an I. So I think, you know, these are um, amazing teachings, light-filled teachings, um, and there's so much that we see kind of around us that can so easily fill our hearts with sadness and with brokenness. Um, but we're also called to be people of faith and of hope. Um, and I think sometimes it's in the middle of the darkness that we remember to look up and to see the stars and we can see them even more clearly there. Um, and I think for me, these teachings of love from people like Rumi and others um, are like these stars that offer us light and guidance in any age. I agree. I'm listening to you and I'm feeling so many things. I'm feeling this tremendous sense of, of joy and gratitude and the gratitude because you're, you are just lit from the inside out and I'm, I'm so deeply moved by everything and that you've shared. Um, it resonates, you know, on the deepest levels. Like you had said earlier in the conversation, you know, it's sometimes this reminder of, I've lived in this way before. Yes, and yes. And we can live again. That's right. And we can live this way again. Um, and, and I think sometimes what friendship, what real um, compassionate living is, is that willingness to keep creating an opening. So that when we come together, uh, we can be like this. We can have these conversations. We can um, welcome the fullness of who we are into each other's presence. Yeah. I'm sitting here talking with you, wishing that I could, um, I could hang out with you all the time. And uh, speaking of being, having an opportunity to hang out with you and learn with you, um, I understand that you are leading amazing spiritual journeys um, and have one coming up to Morocco. We do, we do. This is one of the most joyful things that I get to do every year. Um, and um, it, it uh, I, I would say, you know, leading is far too generous of, of a word. I would say um, creating an opening and an invitation uh, for people to come and to bring their fullness and their wholeness and their brokenness in the way that we've been talking about. Uh, into some time for us together. And the extraordinary thing is that um, I used to think that, oh, we're going over there to see things. Uh, and we do. We certainly go, we go to Morocco and Turkey so far. Someday we might go to India, possibly to Iran someday. But right now it's Turkey and Morocco. And the program is called Illuminated Tours. Anybody is welcome they can go online. I think the website is illuminatedtours.com. Um, and they can read about it. They can contact us there. Um, and it's basically a small, intimate group that where we go, um, 
and we have this shared commitment to use the 10 to 12 days that we have together to grow into this light. And um, there's, you know, people keep asking me, Omid, like you've, you've, you've gone back to Turkey 40 times. Uh, <laughs> why, why do you keep going back? And I say, well, I might have gone 40 times, but I haven't gone 40 times with this group of friends who don't know yet that they're going to be friends. They're all, none of us, none of them know each other until that first night. And then they arrive and I keep telling them with a little bit of a mischievous smile, you know, in 12 days, you're going to be crying at the thought of leaving you. And they sort of look at each other like, seriously, with these strangers? And it happens year after year after year. And it's not anything that I do or that the place does. It is really that intention and that fullness that people are bringing with them. Mm -hmm. um, simply that. So, um, yeah, we go, we go on site. Um, you know, I offer and other um, experts come and they offer beautiful little lectures about the history and the culture and the art and the architecture and the music. We meet with amazing artists and musicians. Um, and that's certainly a highlight of the, the program. But it's also that, you know, we read books like Radical Love and Rumi's Poetry, and we sit in this circle and we share our own reactions and responses uh, to them. And uh, I find that every year when I go, um, it has a healing and a rejuvenating impact on my own heart. And I hope that it has the same for the hearts of others. And um, uh, so yes, uh, just consider this an open invitation to anybody who's interested in, in joining us. Sounds incredible. I have so, so deeply enjoyed this conversation with you. And we talked in the beginning about how um, here we are, a couple of kids that were born in Jacksonville, Florida. There you go. Up, like ships in the night um, moving to and from Jacksonville, kind of crossing a couple decades apart. And I have a, an older brother who's 17 months older than me. And so he's just probably a few months older than you. And he is one of my favorite people in the world and has an incredible light and energy that radiates from his face and his eyes. And I've just noticed from the very beginning of this conversation that your energy reminds me just that light. I feel like I'm sitting with my brother. And so in some ways, I feel like I'm like, I'm with my brother from Iran. Yeah, <laughs> By right. way of Jacksonville. <laughs> you know, and I think this is the amazing thing is that the more we allow ourselves to come together in these ways uh, that are from the heart, um, all of a sudden, you know, after an hour, you feel like I, I know you. I, I have known something about you. And, and, you know, mind you, like, here are all the things that we haven't talked about, right? Um, I didn't ask you, um, what do you do for a living? I didn't ask you, who hires you? I didn't ask you, um, what zip code do you live in? How big is your house? What car do you drive? Um, all these other ways of, that we usually uh, mark human beings. What do you do for a living, right? We, we haven't talked about those things, but we allow ourselves to grow closer through the heart. And I think these are, these are the kinds of conversations, this is the kind of fellowship that um, we all yearn for, we're thirsty. Uh, I think this is really what we're trying to find. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that with with me today and with all of those that will come to listen what a pleasure Süleyman
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.